0: The air raid offense, where did it come from, its history, and the connections to Neil Brown, Chad Scott, Matt Moore. The gentleman I'm talking to today knows all about all of that. His name, Tony Frank, former offensive coordinator for Kentucky, Auburn, Troy, and many other top-notch universities out there. So pull up a chair, sit back, relax, and let me serve you up this shot of top-shelf college football content what is up college sports fans fellow members of mountaineer nation this is coos and welcome into another edition of coos's corner pull that chair up and let's get started in today's show and that is interview with tony franklin joining me today first off is my good friend and partner mountaineer paul what's up paul hey coos how you doing man and without further ado, let's bring on today's guest, Mr. Tony Franklin. What's how up, you doing, guys? Tony?
1: I'm great. How are you guys doing?
0: Doing great, man. We appreciate well. you. Have, we appreciate you coming on our show, man. And uh, just wanted to uh, real quick before we get into the meat and potatoes of the interview, man. I wanted to just tell my audience where they can find you at social media, and also you know what you're doing now with your podcast and everything.
1: Yeah, the, the, the best thing to do is to, um, uh, you can go in and find out a lot of stuff that I'm doing at coachtf.com. Uh, we have all all of our information on there. You know, I've had a business for 23 years where I help high school and college coaches uh, to revise their offense, make it as good as it can be, et cetera. Um, I have a podcast called the Coach Tony Franklin Podcast that we usually put something out every day. Um, most of the time it's new. Occasionally we'll have a, a little replay or something like that. But and uh, you can follow me on Twitter
2: at, at CoachTF.
0: Awesome. Thanks for that. And Paul, how about you? Go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you at, too, man.
2: Yeah, you can find me at Mountaineer Paul Talks Football. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Paul Mountaineer.
0: Sounds good. Uh, and I'll put links to all this in the description box uh, of the video. And for those of you who might be listening on podcast, uh, I'm proud to be a part, part of the Big Skin Podcast Network. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts from. And obviously, those of you here watching on YouTube, you can see scrolling along the bottom of the screen, all of our Twitter handles, uh, at CoachTF, at Coos206, and at Paul Mountaineer. So let's dive right in. We were talking a little bit off air, but uh, on air, I wanted to get jump right in. First of all, we're, we're doing this show the day of the national championship game. Where T- TCU's getting ready to take on Georgia, and Tony, I wanted to get your thoughts on the what does it mean for? Uh, I know you don't like the I know you don't like the title of air raid offense, but what does it mean in your mind for T- Sonny Dykes, who's a disciple, so to speak, of, of the air raid tree, the Mike Leachow mummy tree? Uh, and I know you, I think you've worked with him some as well. What what does it mean for him to be playing for a national title right now?
1: Well, Sonny and I were together. Uh, I was his offensive coordinator for six years, uh, three at Louisiana Tech in his first head coaching job and uh, three at Cal. And uh, so and I also coached with two years at Kentucky with Sonny when he was a, a young guy, a grad assistant. So I've known him for a long time. As far as the, the air raid link to that, you know, obviously you go back with Sonny. His, his linkage to that and mine both started at um, Kentucky with Hal Mummy. Mike Leach was on that staff as well. Uh, we had a young walk-on receiver by the name of Neil Brown, uh, which your people know fairly well. Um, Guy Morris becomes a head coach off of that coaching staff. So there were lots of guys that came through that, that tree at that time that were part of that. And then Sonny went on to be with Mike for I think it was seven years at Texas Tech. So Sonny was definitely deeply embedded in the true air raid family part of it. And then Sonny went to Arizona. And the first year that Sonny was at Arizona, he was more like Mike and throwing at every play and all that stuff. And I think Sonny kind of found out that may not may not work quite as well. And, and he began to evolve into who he wanted to be, which was a combination of some of the air raid principles, but also to get under center some, run the ball better than what Mike did, run the ball a little bit more than Mike. And I think when Sonny was there, he had a guy by the name of Rob Gronkowski that was a pretty good player. So, you know, they used the tight end a little bit as well. And so eventually, you know, Sonny got his first head coaching job and he and I were together. And I had always... Since I'd been at Kentucky, I'd used the air raid principles in the passing game. But, you know, I believed also in running the football. I had a background in high school where I first learned to coach, really, to where I became a good football coach, was being at Mayfield High School, being in two tight ends, three back wishbone, and uh, running power football and play action. And I learned how to win. So eventually, as time went by, I added tempo. We eventually created RPOs. And that's what took our careers off there. You know, at Louisiana Tech, we averaged 52 points a game in 2012. We had the best offense in college football, one of the best in the history of the game. We had a shootout with Texas A&M in a game with a, a guy named Johnny Manziel. The year he won the Heisman, um, we lo- lose 59-57 against those guys. And they had three straight SEC opponents after that that didn't score 57 points combined. So we were we were really good. We had a really good deal. So my point is this. Sonny had a lot of of air raid stuff with Mike, but Sonny also had, you know, a year where we averaged 227 yards a game running the football at Louisiana Tech. Mm -hmm. We went to Cal where we had a a guy by the name of Jared Goff that was a pretty good quarterback, Mm -hmm. as everybody in the world knows today. And we ran the ball well when we were there. We had thousand yard rushers. We had one year we had three guys that ran for over five hundred yards each. And and so Sonny had all that stuff together. So when he gets to SMU eventually and to TCU, he combines all of that stuff. And now I think you see the results of it, as well as obviously having some really good football players because all that stuff goes hand in hand together. So I think it's it's fun for everybody to throw it in and say, oh, here's the Air Raid disciple, and they're doing Air Raid. You know, air raid can be a wide range of verbiage. If you go from from Neil to uh, Garrett Riley to Lincoln Riley to Sonny Dykes to Chris Hatcher, all these different guys, Dana Hogerson, every one of those guys are different. Mm-hmm. But people want to throw them in and say, hey, they're air raid. Well, yeah, you know, if you run Y-Cross, you're automatically in the family. If you run the stick route, you're automatically in the family, you know, because the air raid, the great thing they've done is brand that. Topic, so Sonny, you'll see if you watch the game tonight. For those that are just now novices, you'll see Sonny run the football a lot. And if they win the game, it'll be because they run the football and they run it well. If they don't win the game, they can't run the ball.
0: Paul, you got uh, any questions for Tony? Thanks for that explanation, Tony. By the way, because I, it's it's nice yeah. for somebody to explain, uh, you know, that there are differences and you know not everybody's on the ball 60 times a game, right? Paul, you got any questions for uh, for Tony?
2: Oh, yeah. So, let's get into the meat and potatoes of uh, what I think a lot of people want to know. Um, let's put you in Neil Brown's shoes right now. You've had a couple bad seasons, but you believe in yourself. I have no doubt that Neil Brown believes in himself and what he can do on the field. Uh, there's outside pressure for him to, to hire an offensive coordinator. Obviously, he's lost Graham Harrell to Purdue. If you were Neil Brown, would you just strap your boots up and you call that offense, or do you bring somebody in, give them a quarterback title, you coach the quarterbacks, we'll give you that OC title, but I'm calling the plays. What would you do?
1: Well, if I was Neil Brown, I would do whatever it is that Neil Brown believes, and and because this is my philosophy. If you're a head college coach, this is it. You have one job. Your job is to do what's best for that university to win football games. That's what you're hired for. If Neil Brown believes that there's somebody out there that's better than him, that can come in and do a better job than he can, and that it will make him a better head coach, he just tried it. And the results were, you know, so-so, right? So he hired somebody, brought them in. You know, sometimes they, they they were better in some things, not as good in other things, I would assume, you know, looking from a distance, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I would now sit back and I would go, I would look at this and I would say, is there somebody out there right now that can help West Virginia win football games by being with me, as me as the head coach, as Neil Brown as the head coach? Is there somebody out there that's going to come in and immediately, I'm, because we're not talking about a two-year plan, we're talking about, This has got to happen now. Mm -hmm. So that narrows it down, you know, to the scope of a transition of style of play, of verbiage of all these other things, because anytime you make that transition to somebody completely different, completely new, completely style, then a lot of times it takes more than a year. When the reality is at West Virginia, more than likely you're talking about a one year deal talking about coming in. We got to be successful now. So for Neil, I would, if I were him, if I were sitting in his shoes, I asked myself one question. Is there somebody out there that can come in here right now, do a better job than what Graham Harrell did, do a better job than Neil Brown will do, score more points, win more games? And if so, I'm hiring them, no, no questions asked. If there's not, and that maybe he looks, maybe he interviews, maybe he talks to people, and then he looks and he goes, you know what, I'm the best guy. I got to do it myself because I am better than anyone I can hire right now at this stage. And I'm betting my career. I'm betting my legacy. I'm betting my coaching staff's jobs. I'm betting everything. And if I'm going to make a bet, I'm going to bet on me. Then that's the question he has to do. So I don't know what that answer is. I don't know if there is somebody that he can hire with the exception of me. Of course, I'm fucking better than everybody that he's got. (laughs) Uh, But Let's get that, that
2: thing outside. hooked up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> outside of that, if, if that's the only question that he needs to ask, and that is, can I find somebody that fits all these things and can come in and in, right now, tomorrow, the day they show up, we're better. And if you do that, you owe it to West Virginia, to the fans, to everybody to do that. If not, You owe it to them to eat the crow that you're going to have to eat because all the fans are the same, right? The fans are like, we done seen you. We don't want that. We want something new, something different. We want something flashy. But he's got to eat the crow and go, I understand. I get it. I don't blame you. But you know what? Just watch and see. I got it figured. I know what I got. I know what's coming back. And you think about it, you go back and say, who's playing for the national championship? TCU well let's go back and then let's look at it did we play TCU the answer is yes we did how did we do played damn good football had a chance to win the game a couple of things go our way late maybe I make a couple of different decisions we win that football game all of a sudden it's a little bit different animal so we're not that far away we just got to fix it and we got to fix it now because if we don't fix it then it's probably over and, it, and, and my job again when I'm hired as a head football coach at a university that's paying me millions of dollars I got one job do what's best to win games for that university nothing else matters so everything has to come down to that
0: yeah yeah and I think that's what my I think that's what Neil's doing right now honestly um, because I heard an interview I don't know I think it was on Sirius XM radio he said, that he was going to be more hands-on on the offense. He didn't come out and say he was going to call the plays. That's he said, true. I am going to be more involved, more hands-on than I was last year. He said, last year I took a step back, and he uh, he said, if I had it to do over, I wouldn't have done that. So that makes me think he wasn't real happy with what Graham Harrell did last year. Right. So, just reading between the lines there. Obviously, he's not going to throw him under the bus, but that's it's pretty easy to figure that out Right. If you're listening. Uh, and he just he – he really – and he went on to say, hey, I believe in what we're doing here. And uh, I feel like I'm I'm the guy that can make it happen. Uh, so I my I feel like that's probably what he'll end up doing. He he did say he's going to hire two staff members. He's already hired a wide receiver coach. I don't the hold up. A lot of fans are wondering well, what's the hold up. Well, number one, who knows if he could be hiring somebody that's playing in a game this weekend, right? One and two, the coaches' convention I think is this week, right? And I, and I think that's when a lot of coaching. Hiring, hires and interviews and things like that happen.
1: Yeah, it, it is. And I think the thing that, I think the thing that, that everybody wants it now, everybody wants this answer right now so that we can either jump on it and support it, or we can go, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the two, but they want, they want it right now. And I think the most important thing is to get the right person, not to get, the fast person, not to get the one that's available right now. And it might be at your sitting, Like you said, you're sitting and looking, maybe it's somebody involved in a game right now. Maybe there's interviews that are taking place because there's so much that goes on at the convention where everybody's getting together. Everybody's meeting interviews are taking place every single day there. So it might be that he's got it narrowed down to two or three people and he's interviewing those people. Who knows? I don't know. No. I don't have any idea. You know, Neil hasn't asked my opinion on it. So, um, but that's what I would think is going on. And the one thing I would tell people is this, is that sometimes sometimes you're so close and you know you are and you're the only one that knows it and you just got to stick to whatever it is that your beliefs are and your guns are and then you just got to follow through with it. And, you know, again, you're betting not just your career, you're betting these other coaches that are on your coaching staff there's so many people involved, probably 200 people involved in the West Virginia football family, that he's betting whatever decision he makes, he's betting that all these people's lives are going to be affected by it. So I'm sure that he's making a good decision. And, you know, he's he's a good human being. He's a good guy. And he's going to do what's best for everybody, including, you know, number one, West Virginia football. That's the most important thing.
0: Tony, from the outside, looking, did you get a chance to watch a lot of West Virginia games? Uh, the I, last couple of years?
1: I, I, I have. I've watched – i I'm not – I could go back a couple of years ago where I watched a little bit more, but I, I almost always try to watch because of my connections with Neil right. and Chad and Matt. And so, yeah. usually I try to, to see it, if it's live, where I can watch it in person or, or watch it on television, rather. Or a year ago, I got filmed just like I did as a college coach, and I analyzed a lot of video and watched a lot of stuff like that. But right. I saw enough this year – you know to know um, that you know there's room for improvement, obviously, and that you know that they're not that far away. The talent is good enough. It the talent is good enough to get you in the game. So if you're in the game, if you're playing close, the talent has got you there, and now you got to finish. You know, and a lot of times it's like you you go back to four plays in a season. Sometimes you know the tip of your finger. It's the difference in winning and losing a game. And then if you get all that happens the next year, then you go from four wins or five wins, you go to seven to eight to nine, yeah. even 10. And I've had those, you know, in my life, I've had those things happen where you're you're two or three plays away from having a great year and it ends up being an average year, or you're two or three plays away from having a bad year and you get those things go your way, and all of a sudden, you know, you're coach of the year yeah. somewhere.
0: Yeah, that's part of the frustration with West Virginia fans has been though. We that's been happening to us ever since he got here, right? Like we've been one or two plays away right. for four years. Yeah, and it's and fans are getting like, but what? Then why are you not? Why are you not getting over that? Hump, you yeah. know, Is it just luck? Is it well, you, you? You just need better talent. You know what yeah. is it? I think you know? it's
1: valid. I think it's always a valid question, and I think that the answer is what you just said. It's both. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's a little bit of luck. Sometimes it's. You know, I've gone into a season before thinking I'm really good. We're going to be – this is it, man. We're going to be really good. We get through summer camp, we lost four players that we could not – we couldn't beat a Little League team without those four players. Mm -hmm. And we lose all four of them. And the next thing you know, you go from incredible high expectations. Every time I've had a great team, it's been luck in the injury deal. It's been where you don't, because you're, there's very few Alabamas and Georgias. There's very few of those that can get to the third team guy and people don't even notice that much, mm-hmm. you know, people still see it. There's very few of those. And I wouldn't think that that West Virginia would ever get to that uh-huh. just because of, you know, you're, you're not, I would assume that the um, the, the money that they've set aside is not $5 million a year for the players. So And and, and if you're not competing at that level with the financial part of it right now, you're never going to get that depth. You're going to lose your second and third team guys who are going to leave. You're only going to be able to pay some of the top tier guys. And some of those other guys are going to leave because they get two grand a month somewhere and they get zero from you. So you're going to lose your backup. And then the next thing you know you better get lucky and get in getting the next backup that's gonna come in and take their play. So it's it's right. it's a completely different animal now because of the NIL and the portal.
0: Right. All right, Paul. What do you got?
2: I, I hate to ask you to speculate, coach. I really do. Um <clears throat> you say you watched some some out there football this year. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you know, JT Daniels regressed at a rapid rate. Right. You know, going from the pit game on to what well, Texas Tech, Texas, and those stretches. And, and the the level that Pitt's defense plays at was not so much different than those other teams, I would say. Um, A lot of people speculated that there was an injury that he was trying to tough through because, obviously, he has this label. And, and, and he's at the end of this thing, man, and he doesn't want to be labeled this damaged goods. Right. Did it look to you like he was a kid trying to tough through an injury? Just speculating. Obviously, I know you probably don't know, and if you may don't want to speculate, I understand that too. Yeah. But something happened, and we just don't know what. Uh, I'd like to get your input there.
1: Well, I, I'll, I'll say it like this because college players, at, when they get to his age and have been in it for as long as he, he's been in it, is I can be a little critical of the player. Most of the time, I'm never going to be critical of a player. I'm going to be critical of, of coaches, you know, if, if I'm doing anything. I, um, I, I knew of him when he was a freshman in high school at the end of his freshman year because I was at Cal and he was at, at modern day. And so I knew, I knew of him. I knew who he was. I, I knew his, you know, the recruiting stuff and all that. I look at it like this, is that when I watched him play football, From the time he was at USC to Georgia. Now you just think about what I just said. You're at USC with NFL player after NFL player playing receiver. Okay. You're at Georgia with the best talent in the world. And yet you've never been a star yet. You've just been kind of okay. Okay. With the best players, with the best players in the world. And so when you, now come to West Virginia where you've got, you know, okay talent, not the greatest talent in the world, but it's okay. And you never blossom and you never become a great player because quarterbacks can make everybody else better. Quarterbacks can can blossom to make the whole world better. and Or they can make everybody, you know, not as good. It just depends upon what all the talent is around them. If the offensive line is okay, You know, I saw what I saw with West Virginia, running back talent was pretty good. Receiver talent, there was some good players playing receiver that could make some plays for it. O-line talent was good enough, depending, in my opinion, the offensive line, a lot of times, if if your offensive line is average, meaning they're just okay, the play caller has to make the O-line good. It's the play caller's job to make the O-line good, not the O-line's job to make the play caller good, when the talent is average. And that's what I see at West Virginia. The O-line talent is okay. It's not great. It's my job as a play caller to make those guys look good. I didn't see that. So now you've got a guy in the pocket that's immobile, that doesn't have great feet in the pocket, doesn't have great present in the pocket. A great quarterback will make average O-lineman look good, not necessarily by running, but by finding throwing lanes, busting his ass to move from, A-gap to B-gap to C-gap. I coached Jared Goff for three years at Cal. Jared Goff was the first pick in the draft because his footwork in the pocket, his eyes in the pocket, his ability to avoid the rush, never running, but to avoid the rush from A-gap to B-gap to C-gap to D-gap was better than anybody in football because we worked at it. And he had some natural ability to do it as well. What I saw with JT was that he was not great at making the O-line good. good. The O-line had to be almost perfect for him to be able to operate in the pocket there ain't very many guys there ain't very many old lines that can make a guy like that um, to be good so so my opinion is probably a great guy probably a tough guy probably had some injuries guess what everybody that plays football has injuries everybody that's playing i saw jared goff against green bay the last year that he's with the Rams. Take a finger on his throwing hand, dislocated. Pull it out himself and finish the game, and play throwing the football. And everybody questioned his toughness. Well, they don't know. They don't know Jared Goff. A quarterback has got to bring everybody else up, and I just didn't see that being his skill set. And I was like, you know, when he was the quarterback at Georgia, I'm a huge Stetson Bennett guy because I was Stetson Bennett's only offer as a <laughs> Division One football coach. I'm the only Division One coach that offered Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett was so much better than than JT and all the other guys that were there. It was never close. Wow. And the players all knew. Every player at Georgia knew. And Kirby has finally admitted it that yeah, you know, we just wouldn't do it even though we knew he was better. I mean, duh. So you gotta you got to figure that stuff out. I I like what Neil has right now in the two guys that are coming back because they both can move. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When you're not great in the O-line, again, when you're average in O-line, it's your job as a play caller to make the O-line look good. And you do that by moving the pocket. You do that by tempo. You do that by mixing up the calls to where eventually you can get the defense to be in Where they're not firing on all cylinders. And there were times, like I saw a couple of West Virginia games, where all of a sudden they went tempo, they ran the outside zone, and they ripped people. But it wasn't a consistent thing. And to me, that just wasn't Graham Harrell. That's not in his old family heritage of how he coached football. And to me, that's the advantage that West Virginia can have. You got to play more up tempo, you got to mix it, you got to mix tempos, but you got to help the old line out. And you do that with play calling, and and so I I was not a huge fan of of, of J T Daniels, and again, that's not a knock on J T Daniels. You know, he is what he is. You know, when you get a guy, they are what they are. Most of the time in college, you can improve them a little bit, but you better you better get who you want that can win doing what your talent allows you to do.
0: Well, my man Paul here. Called JT Daniels. I don't want to say called him out, but he did a he did an episode on his show about halfway through the season, saying that JT Daniels needed to be benched, and he took a lot of crap yeah. over that. <laughs> now he turns out to be pretty darn smart. Yeah. Uh, so what you just said it aligns exactly with what Paul said. What I eventually came around to say, and uh, and the part about us needing a quarterback that can move—that's what almost the entire fan base has been saying. Right, that's the one thing Neil hasn't had since he's been here. At least he's not had him starting. Right, he's had uh, Kendall, Daggy, mm-hmm. and Daniels. None of those guys are mobile. None right. of them, and our offenses have still not, have not been good.
2: Well, here's Virginia, when
0: here, when you can't get studs up front consistently. Right. I mean, we got we got a few studs up there. We got a couple guys that are going to play on Sundays probably, but we don't have five guys that are going to play on Sundays. Right, right. so. Like you said, an average or just above average offensive line. You need a quarterback that can move. At least that's what folks like Paul and myself have been trying to say. But you know, we're just fans, so you know, we're just you know,
1: well, maybe there's we're a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's a lot of ways to move. Like I said, yeah, I, you know, I've coached, I've coached quarterbacks that have rushed for over a thousand yards. Okay, I've had, um, I've had guys that have thrown for you know four to five thousand yards. What you had, and I've had guys that could do both, you know, that's when you're good. It's when right. you got it, you know. So here's how I see it is that both those kids that he's got right now, I think throw the ball well enough, and they both can, they will both be able to make the O line look better. Always remember this. When you can have a quarterback run game, you're always gonna be at least even numbers with blockers, but most of the time you're plus one in the quarterback run game you're almost always at a plus 1. They have to play cover 0 for everything to be even. So if there's as long as there's a single safety and if there's a two-high safety a lot of times, you're not only at a plus 1, you could be at a plus 2. And so all of a sudden you don't have to be great in the in the upfront deal. You just got to get the numbers right, you got to do a great job in RPOs. RPOs are like stealing when people play zone defense. If you're not running, if you're not good in the RPO game against zone defense, then you're hurting your football team. And now when people play man, that's a different animal. But you still, when they play man all the time, you break one crease in the run game and everybody's in man, bam, there you go. Not only that, always remember this. If you play man, who's the one man you don't cover? Who's the one man you don't account for? The quarterback. Right. Right. So what happens is, is that when people are playing man, they know a quarterback that can run. That's why the NFL struggles. They don't know what to do with Jalen Hurts. They got no idea because he can throw it and he can run it. They play man and it's all of a sudden, he goes back and he goes, oh God, they're in man free. This is easy. I'm going to go back and look at two guys. If they're not a kill shot, here I go. And I'm off to the races. So I think it'll make them better just from the beginning knowing. And I read somewhere where Neil said that, you know, they weren't going to do the portal deal. Mm-hmm. That there's going to be, they're going to stick with these two guys, and I think that's a huge bonus going into the deal.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. With that. We've all been high uh, on on Nico Markel since he got here, and uh, seeing what he was able to do in the Oklahoma game. Yeah, his numbers didn't look great, but he put a true freshman in the game. The kid was able to lead his team to a win. He made plays when he needed to make plays. Yeah, made a couple scrambles when he needed to make scrambles. Uh, threw a couple of good balls. I mean, he, but he looked poised. He looked yeah. like he was. The moment wasn't too big for him. And to me, with a freshman, that's you've already that's already your number. You've already defeated your first opponent. Agree. You come out there and are poised. Job number one already done. Now you just gotta do the X's and O's part, right? Yeah.
1: And I um, saw that game, and I, I agree with you. I I I was I went okay. They got you know yeah they got one, but I don't think they got one. I think they got two. Yeah. And I think that that having two, if you end up running. 10, 15 times a game, which to me is nothing. You know, I had quarterbacks run 25 times a game. Everybody always thinks that, well, if you got a running quarterback, they're going to get hurt more. Not true. Okay. Guys get hurt in the pocket when they can't move. I mean, they stand there like statues, they get hurt. Guys that are running the football, once they learn how to take care of their bodies, Mm -hmm. once they understand that, it doesn't mean if it doesn't matter if they're big or if they're if if they're small, they learn how to take care of their bodies they'll be able to survive it and they'll get hurt less. I promise you. I only had one quarterback in my entire career, high school and college, only one ever, that missed more than a game in a season. And that was a guy that could not run. You know, all the rest of them, all the other guys that I've had, whether they were 1,000-yard rushers or or 600-yard rushers, uh, or even Jared. And like I said, you know, Jared, for three years, we were throwing the ball 40 to 50 times a game but we were also snapping at 80 times a game. So we were still running at 50% of the time, but Jared had an incredible ability to move and avoid the rush in the pocket. Didn't mean he didn't take a lot of hits. I always tell him this. If you take a hit, you need to see the hit. You don't get hurt if you see the hit. Mm-hmm.
0: The NFL playoff picture is locked in, and my go-to place for wild card round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wildcard round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it lo- loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code T-P-P-N. Once again, that's code T-P-P-N. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. What uh, Well, I want to switch gears. I'm kind of switching gears, I guess. We're staying on West Virginia, but I want to talk about – you said you're connected to both Matt Moore, obviously Neil, plus Matt Moore, plus Chad Scott. Let's, let's look at Matt Moore first. I, I recently did a video about this. Uh, a guy on Twitter that I follow that's a TCU fan does these real crazy stats. Well, he put out some stats that showed that West Virginia's offensive line had less a lower percentage of missed blocks in the run game than any team in all the Power Five, okay, uh, which I thought was very telling. We didn't have the best run game in all the Power Five because right. there was, you know, uh, yards after contact in their scheme was also in there.
2: Sure.
0: Uh, but if you take all that out and look at strictly missed blocks, We were best in a power five, which blew me away. Uh, So I thought, you know what? We got a lot of fans that have been wanting Matt Moore fired since he got here. Right. Uh, Because they think he can't develop guys. Right. To me, this right here is proof that he can. So I, you know, and I made a video about it. What are your thoughts about Matt Moore as an offensive line coach?
1: Well, I'll say a couple of things because I think it's important for people that listen to your podcast, fans in West Virginia, et cetera. I'll say this up front. Um, You know, I love Matt Moore. Matt and I don't talk all the time. You know, we're not close friends and all that stuff. But I love Matt Moore for a couple of things. I gave Matt his first college job. I hired Matt at Troy. He stayed one year and then Mike Leach took him away from me. And I tried to tell him everything in the world as to why he shouldn't go to Texas Tech at the time. Um, But, you know, obviously for Matt's career, it was a good move, etc. But I love Matt for these reasons. Matt is an incredible father and he's an incredible husband and he's an incredible friend. He's a good human being. So that's number one. People, people don't care. It doesn't matter, but that's important to me. Number two, his players will play hard for him because he treats them like he would his children. I've coached with a lot of guys that say that, you know, I treat them like my sons. No, you don't. (laughs) I've seen you with your kids. You treat these guys like crap compared to your kids. That's not Matt. Matt genuinely cares. Matt genuinely cares for them. Therefore, they know it, and they play hard for him. There's been years where Matt, as an offensive line coach, had the least number of sacks given up in all of college football. I didn't know about what you just told me about the other deal. So as far as as Matt being a great old line coach, a bad old line coach, whatever, I, I know – I know Matt Moore is a really good offensive line coach. He's not a good offensive line coach. He's a really good offensive line coach. Doesn't mean that every year is going to be good. Doesn't mean you're going to run it down people's throats. Doesn't mean they're not going to give up sacks. All I can tell you is this. Judging offensive line coaches throughout the country, looking at what they do, how they do it, why they do it, Matt Moore is a damn good offensive line coach. And um, I I think he's – whether he was at Penn state or Ohio state or Alabama or Georgia, he would still be good. Other years, he might be more successful somewhere else than what he's been. I understand the frustration as a fan because the numbers don't pop out to say, well, if he's that good, then why aren't we rushing for 300 yards a game and why aren't we the number one offense in the country, et cetera. There's a lot of reasons for that, but I believe that Matt is a really good offensive line coach. I, I, I think that, um, you know, if I had a son that played football, that was an offensive lineman, I wanted them to reach their career goals, be the best they could be, and to be treated like a human being. That I would want my children to be treated like, I would send them to play for Matt Moore.
0: Great answer, love it. All right, now what about Chad Scott? What are your thoughts on Chad Scott? Number one, before we even get, before even you even answer, I've been pounding the drum <laughs> for Chad Scott for months. You look at what he's done of that running back room at West Virginia; it's remarkable. Yeah, He took a guy who was a tight end, recruited as a tight end, and never played running back, to my knowledge, in his life. Within three to four weeks, he had him carrying the football, and his very first carry went for, I don't know, Paul, how many yards did he? Uh, it's How many?
2: 54, 54 yards against Pitt, right. first yeah. carry of his life.
0: I yeah. saw that,
1: actually, yeah.
2: So remarkable. Yeah. He's, uh, he's great.
0: And then the development, you've seen Jalen Anderson, how he's developed him. Justin Johnson, Letty Brown. Tony Mathis, Letty Brown, how he developed him throughout his career. I mean, how, how is this guy not a great one run- And Andy, you know something else? We got four running backs on that roster. All of them could start, probably. They just recruited two more studs, in my opinion, that are going to be studs. Nobody's leaving the program yet. At least not yet. It's knock on wood. Right. What's that tell you? They like playing for the guy. <clears throat> you know? So what are your thoughts on Chad Scott?
1: Well, again, I'll, I'll have to tell your fan base. This is really personal. I recruited Chad at the university of Kentucky. Um, Chad had been committed to us for a while and, and uh, you can ask him this story. If you see him, he'll, he'll get a kick out of it. But Chad had been to committed uh, to us at Kentucky for a while. And I was the lead recruiter in it. He was from Tampa. And I get a This is before you had everything on the internet that you knew everything. And, uh, I get I get a a phone call and says, hey, uh, you know, Chad had Missouri in his home last night and he's changing. He's going to Missouri. And I said, what? He going to Missouri? And they said, yeah. And I said, no, he ain't. I got in a plane. I flew. When he got home from his visit from Missouri, I was sitting on his front porch when he drove up at his house. And he was like, oh my God, Coach Franklin's here. So he and I had a we, we had a good conversation and Chad ended up at Kentucky and his first year, he had almost a thousand yards. So I've known Chad for a long time. Chad was working in the office at the university of North Carolina in the video office, not coaching, not doing anything. I hired Chad to come work at one of my camps at Troy. He did such a good job that I made him the running back coach and the rest is history. Chad Scott is one of the most sought after running back coaches in college football. Chad Scott will have no problem if, if he doesn't have a job at West Virginia, getting another job tomorrow. I guarantee you Chad Scott has turned down more money to go to other places and stayed at West Virginia, even seeing that there were chances that, you know, that this thing may not end great for whatever reason, his loyalty to Neil, his love for his kids, whatever it may be. And I will say this is that you, you, you better hope he stays because he's special. And he's again, he's a really good human being. Yeah. He's a really good person that cares deeply about young people and they know it. And that's why, again, that probably you haven't had many guys leave that room.
0: Paul, what do you gotta say about Chad Scott?
2: Oh man, you know, I read his motivational quotes every morning. He mm-hmm. has one he he has on he puts on Twitter every morning. Um, It comes through in any interview that you see with Chad Scott, the kind of person he is. Um, And and a lot, you know, I just wonder why, and and maybe you can speak to this and obviously you love Chad Scott. So I don't think it would be in, and we can cut this out even if we have to later, if you don't, if you don't want it in, but why wouldn't he be somebody that Neil would think about as an offensive coordinator? Is that not something he's ready for? only dealing with running backs. I don't know enough about it to, right. to speculate. I really don't.
1: You know, when you're ready to be a coordinator is when you get a job, um, when you call your <laughs> first play. Nobody ever knows. It's a, it's a crap shoot for somebody that hasn't done it. And so I think that it comes down to this is that it just takes – there's a couple of ways that it happens. It either happens to where somebody like Neil says, you know what, I got faith in Chad I believe that Chad's ready. I think he could do a good job and he gives it to him. Or you gotta you gotta leave. You gotta go somewhere that somebody, a lot of times you gotta go down. You gotta go down a level and go and call plays. And you do a good job, and then everybody goes, okay, this guy was a phenomenal recruiter. He's been at great schools, etc. And then he comes back into D1 as a coordinator and you know makes the ton of money and all that. Nobody ever really knows. You just have to look at probably the history of Neil as a head coach and say the one person that Neil believes in more than any human being out there is the play callers himself. That's who he believes in. And so that's probably why that promotion hasn't come. And then when it was time that, when it was time for him to say, you know, Hey, I think I need to do something different. Is that, did he want that different to be somebody that had never done it? Did he want that to be the first time? And it might be in protection of Chad. It might be in the fact that he thinks, you know, I don't think we're good enough right now for this to be his first deal. Maybe later on, maybe, I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. But I know that when it was time to do that, you know, he looked out into the deal and, you know, you find somebody that's somewhat similar to what your philosophy is or your belief is and you bring in Graham Harrell and it looks like a you know, it looks like a great hire. You're bringing in somebody from USC, et cetera, and all that stuff. But, you know, the reality of it is is that it's whatever works that was the good hire. And sometimes it's just timing, um, and maybe the timing's not right. So I don't have an answer because I've never had that discussion with either one of them.
2: Gotcha. You know who I'm big on right now that's out there in America, and he's an older coach like yourself, uh, middle-aged guy anyway, uh, Jim's Vaboda. <laughs> the the guy at Tulane that's been calling oh, their yeah. offense uh he won a couple nationals. he reminds me of Lance uh Leopold a little bit done it at the lower level won a bunch of right. national championships at with the, the mules of Missouri State uh and has just done an excellent job there at Tulane this year obviously he's probably going to be highly sought after even even later in his career like he is uh well I think but
1: I think there's something to that that um I think because he had the title is that people thought it was him. And my understanding is Slade Nagel was calling the plays and actually oh. just got promoted and given the title of coordinator um, because people in the industry knew that Slade was doing it. And um, my guess is he probably got some offers and was probably heading out the door after the UC USC deal. Um, so I don't, you know, again, I'm, I'm not at Tulane. I don't know the inside part of that, but that's what my understanding was of that deal. So, but you're, you know, here's the thing. There's a lot of good play callers, a lot of good coordinators. There's a lot of good guys out there. And I think that when it comes down to it, it's like I said, is that Neil just has to do what he's comfortable with because the bottom line is when it's all over and done with whether this thing works or whether it doesn't work whether this year is the eight win, nine win, 10 win year. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh my God, can we keep Neil? They averaged 40 points a game and now so-and-so's after him, you know, cause you're always one year away from that. You're, you're getting fired one year and then the next year it's like, well, we got to sign him to another contract cause somebody's going to come in and take him away. You know, Auburn does that about every other year, right? You know, they <laughs> yeah. fire you, you win, you beat somebody and then they give you a raise and all that stuff. So, you know, Neil just has to do what, what he feels like is, is the best for West Virginia. And I'm sure that he will.
0: Right. Um, got, can't let you out of here without giving us a Mike Leach story. <laughs> what, what is your most memorable that you can share? Obviously. Yeah. Uh,
1: I got a bunch that I couldn't share and I've got right. something I can. Uh, okay. So I did on my podcast uh, back when Mike passed away, I, I, I made it. I made a couple of things clear. I worked with Mike for two years. 97 and 98 at Kentucky. I met Mike when I first took a quarterback to Iowa Wesleyan University where he and Hal Mummy were back in like 1989 or 90. I don't remember exactly which year it was. The first time I met Mike um, was not impressed. Uh, Didn't walk away with, oh my God, you know, here's the guru of gurus. And, you know, uh, he was truthfully not, he could have cared less that I was there. didn't spend five seconds with me. But over the years, When I helped to get Hal the job at Kentucky, that's a whole other story out out there. But when I helped Hal to get the job at Kentucky and Mike came with him and we were there for those two years, there's a lot of of stories. But the one story that sticks out the most to me has nothing to do with football. Mike Leach and I probably didn't spend three minutes talking football in the two years that we were there. I tried at different times to say, hey, Mike, you know, tell me about this or that. And he just – just didn't want to do it for whatever reason. So he never gave me any – I didn't know anything. I mean, I'm coming in there. I'm going to coach running backs. There was no playbook. There was no video. There was nothing. And so Chris Hatcher taught me the offense on an airplane ride to Montana. You know, when we were there, I learned the offense drawing on napkins with Hatcher. And But Mike and I one night were out. We were at a bar in Lexington. And if you know any of the stories about Mike, Mike liked bars. You know, he liked to go out and have a good time. And so we were out one night and it was freezing. I mean, I'm talking about freezing, five below, something like that, wind blowing, et cetera. We were at a bar and the bartender ran everybody out because it was like 2 a.m. Time for the doors to shut and all that. Shut the doors and let Mike and I stay. Mike and I were still in there and we were still getting at it. We were, we were having a conversation and here's the thing you had to know about Mike. No one ever won an argument with Mike Leach in the history of life. <laughs> never. He's never lost an argument. Not one time ever. Cause he wouldn't quit. He wouldn't stop. I mean, I've seen Hal walk away and go, Mike, it's a good idea, but we're not going to do it. And Mike would not stop. And he'd say, Mike, when you're a head coach, you do whatever you want. But I'm not. I'm the head coach. And Mike would follow him down the hallway to his office. Hal would have to shut the door, lock the door, et cetera. Mike never, ever lost an argument because he would never stop. So Mike and I were involved in a conversation. And it was probably there was some friction somewhere or another in the conversation. We both had enough to drink probably to know that the friction shouldn't go too far. So we finally, the, the young lady runs us out of the bar. She worked at Kentucky football offices part time. She runs us out of the bar and we're outside, probably waiting for a ride or whatever it is. And we're in a conversation and I am freezing. I've got enough alcohol to keep me warm for life, but I am shivering. It's so cold. And I'm saying, we're having this conversation and I know my body is shaking like just unbelievable. And I notice Mike, doesn't have a coat on, short sleeve shirt. And I notice he's not shivering at all. And I'm like, what is wrong with this guy? I guess he's got more alcohol in him than I do. <laughs> Both were hammered. And he finally looks at me and he goes, you know, if you don't shiver, if you just fight the shiver, you won't be cold. <laughs> don't give in to the shiver. And I thought, what in the what? what? What are you talking? That's the dumbest. I've never heard anything like that. So we go our own ways. Life goes on. He goes off to Oklahoma and then to Texas Tech. And we don't have a whole lot of contact with each other. But there's a few times in between. But it was probably five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years later. One night I was out, I was freezing somewhere. And it comes back to me. And I thought, okay, Tony, just don't shiver. Whatever you do, fight the shiver. And I'll be damned if it didn't work.
0: No kid. For the
1: rest of my life, I've always known that whenever I get too cold, as long as I'll fight the shiver, I won't get as cold. So that's my wow. Mike Leach
0: story. That's pretty cool. Yeah,
2: that is cool. Talk,
0: you know, one of the things about Mike, everybody talks about, it, is how smart of a guy he was. And, I mean, just little things like that. that I mean, who would know have? A little he, about he, everything. He had to have read that somewhere, right? Yeah, you think.
1: I think growing up in Wyoming and maybe not having a jacket might've had something to do with it. I don't know, but Mike was always the smartest guy in the room. And and sometimes there's people that think they're the smartest guy in the room.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mike actually usually was the smartest guy in the room.
0: Right. Uh, Paul, you got any final questions for Tony?
2: No, I, I think uh, just really thank you for coming on, man. This has been uh, for somebody that loves this football as much as I do. This has been a real treat for me. I don't get to, uh – I'm sure you don't think of yourself as too huge of a deal, but for me, this is a really big deal, you know, to get to rub elbows with somebody like you uh, means a lot.
1: Well, to, to get to talk to a Mountaineer Paul and Coos, I mean, hell, how does life get any better than that? I mean,
2: <laughs> I I'm just
1: – I'm nothing but an old uh, redneck from Princeton, Kentucky, and uh, that, that somewhere along the way, as they said – uh, something jumped into my bones. I had three daughters and turned liberal. So I'm a liberal redneck from Western.
2: <laughs> so, uh,
1: but I, I appreciate you guys. And it's, it's been an honor for me to be on there. And I'm, I'm hoping that Neil and those guys can, can flip it. And, you know, for the state of West Virginia, uh, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for West Virginia football, um, you know, back to Don Nayland days. And uh, so I'm hoping that Neil can get it done. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Neil Brown fan. Uh, as a human being and, and as a football coach, I think he's a really good coach. So I hope he can get it done as well.
0: Do you, uh, you have any plans of getting back into coaching?
1: Well, you know, th- there's one little problem with that is that as a 65 year old controversial coach that doesn't shut his mouth when he's supposed to, there's not a whole lot of takers out there right now. So uh, I'm, I told somebody the other day, I'm, I'm 188 pounds and I can cover a, uh, the best receiver you got in, in and, and go drills and, you know, if somebody wants a hard-nosed, stubborn guy that can score points and win games, I'm ready to go. But uh, I've taken some unpopular stances in life and in football, so there's not, a, you know, in the political correct world of football, there's not too many people looking for a guy like me. So, I got you know. You.
0: But you have, but you're still doing some good things, man. You got your podcast going. You got the the the, the system. You're teaching people how. I mean, you're still doing that, right? The I am. System. Yeah,
1: I. I um, still do probably I spend more time with football now than I did when I was still coaching. And I coached, as I told you before, I coached this last season, the most fun I've ever had in my life. I went to West Point, I coached our future military heroes that are uh, 178 pounds and under on the West Point sprint football team. A former player of mine, Lieutenant Colonel Mark West was the head coach, and he asked me to come up and help him for a year. So I went up and I called a bunch of bad plays for him for a year so. <laughs>
0: how how good did the team do
1: we were good we were six and two the only problem was we lost to navy um in the championship game 28 21 when i came there they had they had had four straight games that they hadn't scored more than a touchdown against navy and Mm -hmm. so he said if you can just score 17 uh we can uh beat navy so in the championship game we scored 21 and it wasn't enough they drove down with three minutes to go and scored the winning touchdown and beat us and uh we had one last. We threw the last play in the end zone, and they knocked it down. So it, it was it was the time of my life. Literally, just I, I had more fun than I've ever had coaching ball.
0: Awesome, glad to hear. Uh, well, real quick, guys, don't forget to check out uh, Tony on, uh, on his podcast, Coach Tony Franklin Podcast. It's pretty simple. Check him out on Twitter at Coach TF. Is that right? That's true. Uh, don't forget to check out Paul over at Mountaineer Paul Talks Football. On, on uh, YouTube and also Paul and I have a, a channel we do on basketball too called Hoops from the Hills. If you want to check that out we partner together on that one. And You can find me, oh uh, you can find Paul at, on Twitter at Paul Mountaineer. It's just Mountaineer Paul backwards. And then I'm at Coos 206 on Twitter and I'll, obviously you're, you're here on Coos's Corner uh, on YouTube and also on podcast platforms Spotify, Apple, Amazon, pretty much all the major platforms you can find me on. Proud to be a mer- member of the Pigskin Podcast Network Uh, Without further ado, uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We're out in Q Country Roads.